If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's some right over there, or you can download one from the App Store on your phone. Uh, Just once again, uh, if you are new with us, I know we've said this a couple times already, uh, but we really do mean it. Our heart's desire is to see you move from being what we call a guest with us to being part of our family. Um, And we really do believe that if you're coming here, that we want to see you come, not just uh, come and receive on a Sunday morning, but that God's called you here for his purposes and his mission, and he wants to invite you into his family. And so we want to invite you to be part of our family in that process. And one of the most simple ways you can get started on that journey is by texting your name. You see the number on the screen behind me. And that just gives us a point of connection, uh, and we can continue to help you down that journey. Um, So really quick here, before we start, just a couple of reminders for us of what's been going on in the book of Matthew. Matthew, of course, being one of four books that deals with the life of Jesus. Uh, Matthew has been writing that uh, that Jesus has come into the world, and he's made a pretty bold claim. The claim is that in and through him, God's rule and reign is in breaking into our reality. He says, the kingdom of heaven has come in me. And he's demonstrating that. He's healing people. He's taking people who have been pushed to the margins of society, and he's inviting them back into community. He's he's freeing people from dark spiritual oppression. And crowds flock to him. But interestingly, there's a group of people who aren't so excited about Jesus. And it's a group that you might not normally expect. It's a group that we call the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of that era. And if you grew up as a first century Jew, you didn't look at these guys and think, oh man, these are hypocritical bad guys. You would look at these guys as, man, these are the guys who spiritually get it. They are the ones who are hardcore, that they have figured it out. They obey the law better than anyone else. This is the people that we should strive to be like. And yet there's this continual confrontation as Jesus steps on those religious toes. And we're going to see that continuation of that conflict happen in our passage today. So let's dive right into Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. So it says this, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, up until this point, the Pharisees, the scribes, or the teachers of the law, they've all been local. And so there's something significant that's going on here. (laughs) There's something significant that's going on here. And that is that the Jerusalem is the center of the, the Jewish faith. It's where the temple is. It's where the political power is concentrated and the religious power is concentrated. So to give you kind of a modern equivalent, this is like someone coming from the Vatican. You're not dealing with the local priests anymore. You're dealing with a cardinal, and, and they're coming down from the Vatican to check you out. They're looking at you and saying, hey, we've been hearing stuff, and, and it's starting to concern us a little bit. So they come to Jesus, and it says that they ask, in verse 2, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, I mean, you might be thinking, okay, they don't wash their hands before they eat. That's a little rude, a little bit unhygienic. Like, what's going on? Why is that such a big deal? Uh, But what's, what's really going on here is the Pharisees were, as I said, a really very devout group within the Jewish community. In fact, they were so concerned with the law that they had actually built laws around the law so that they could get to a point where there was all these walls that would make sure that they didn't even get close to breaking the law. 
They didn't want anything to even come close. And so they had created extra traditions and extra laws and extra rules, and they expected everyone to follow them. And here's Jesus, the supposed religious teacher. And they come to him and say, well, Jesus, you're telling everyone that you're from God and that you're this religious teacher, but look at your disciples. I mean, they're not even following some of the basic rules. They don't wash their hands. You see, for them, it wasn't about hygiene. They conceived of this world. Oh. All right. Does, uh, I'm going to grab a different mic here, I think. <laughs> Try this out. Hello? Oh, there we go. We're going to try this one out, see if that, uh, that works better for us. So they had this conception of the world as filled with all of these things that would defile them. In the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, there were all these laws that were built up. Everything from lobsters to periods that were going to make you defiled. Uh, that's a pretty exhaustive list. And so you can imagine, they're looking around, they see the world filled with all of these things that are going to defile them. And they actually came up with this idea that, man, we want to be so pure, so holy, that we don't even want to touch something that's touched something that might have been defiled. And so before every meal, they would wash their hands in case their hands had touched something that might have touched something else that had been something that was unclean or something that would defile them. Now, that may seem a little bit whack to us. I mean, we live in the 21st century. We don't typically deal with ideas like, you know, lobsters being unclean. Um, I mean, there's, there's things that we avoid probably. Most people don't eat bugs, but um, yeah, the, the reality is, is that I think if we're really thinking through this, that we actually still conceive of things that defile us. I grew up in a pretty typical Christian home, Christian family, and there were all sorts of things that we were supposed to avoid, lest we be defiled, lest we be contaminated by them. Certain movies we didn't watch, certain music we didn't listen to, certain words we didn't say, certain people we didn't hang out with. I went to a a Christian college, and they had a rule against dancing. Because you know, dancing could lead to other things, which could lead to babies. And so, you know, as a Christians, we still sometimes function like this, but this isn't true just of Christians. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we avoid that we think are going to contaminate us. I mean, gluten, right? How many people are like, I have a gluten sensitivity? Yeah, I know you're out there. That's why we can't have real bread for communion. we got to eat rice crackers. <laughs> Regardless, here, here's the reality. We, when we're really thinking through it, we see that there is a reality that our world is not the way it should be. And we can look around, and there's things that we're blaming for that. There's things that we think, man, i got to avoid those things because those things, they're going to somehow contaminate me. They're going to somehow defile me. And this is exactly the mindset that the Pharisees had. We've got to avoid all of these things. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what's going on with your disciples? I mean, they're going to be so defiled. Don't you get it? Like, this is a big deal. And Jesus looks at them and he says, man, you guys don't get it at all. You don't even get why God made these laws in the first place. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Jesus replied, and why do you break 
the command of God for the sake of your tradition. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. All right, everyone who has kids, just look at your kids right now and say, mm-hmm, back talk me and we're going out in the back. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And so again, Pharisees, they've created this whole body of laws all around the commands of God so that they can't even be close to becoming defiled. And Jesus says, and the, the law that you're talking about, this hand-washing thing, that's not, even, that's not even what God, he's not even addressing. He's like, I'm not even going to talk about this. Let's actually talk about how you're taking your tradition. And, and he's really specific. They say, hey, this is the tradition of the elders. This is things that have been passed down to us. And he's like, no, these are the things that you made up, that you are living by. He says, you actually elevate the things that you live by above the things that God actually said in his word. Look at the fifth commandment. It's one of the big ten Number five, honor your father and mother. But what do you do? You take the little rule that you've made. You say, well, this is probably more important than what God actually said to us. And just to help you understand this a little bit. So at that time, they had this tradition, which was called Corbin. And the the tradition was, hey, I'm going to declare something dedicated to God. And so I would call it Corbin. It's dedicated to God. Well, there is no social assistance, there's no pension plans, there's no CPP for anyone. And so your retirement plan was to have kids. And you would pour out for them, you would build up an inheritance for them. And in turn, when you grew old and you couldn't work anymore and you couldn't care for yourself anymore, it was your children's responsibility to take care of you. But what happens, we think, ah, I kind of like what I have. I don't really want to care about mom and dad right now. Well, easy solution. Corbin, all that stuff that was for you, mom and dad, I can't give it to you. I can't help you out because it's dedicated to God. And you sound so good and so spiritual. Well, I I couldn't give it to mom and dad because I actually gave it to God first. It sounds really, really good on paper. It makes you look really, really good. But Jesus says, You guys completely and utterly missed the point. You don't get the heart of God at all. God cares about you loving each other, caring for each other, laying down your lives for one another, and yet you have so concentrated on your own rules that you've actually put them above God and completely ignored his heart. Listen to what Jesus continues to say. He says, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Now, we hear the word hypocrite, and we think it means Uh, someone who says something and does something else. And that's actually not quite the nuance that the Greek word that gets translated hypocrite has. There's a scholar by the name of R.T. France, and he describes it this way. He says, the accusation of hypocrite is not so much of conscious deception as of a fatally distorted sense of priorities in service to God. Jesus looks at these people and he says, you guys are so backwards. And the really sad thing about this is you are looking at yourselves and you... You think you got it right. You don't even see that you've completely missed the heart of God in this. He continues on. He says in verse 7, Isaiah was right 
when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus looks at them and he says, you guys, you guys, you're just like those Old Testament people that Isaiah, a prophet, wrote about, wrote to. Just imagine with me again. These are the Pharisees. They've grown up studying the Hebrew Bible. And they think of themselves not as in the tradition of the people that Isaiah was writing to. They're looking back and they're judging those people. They're saying, well, those are the people that God has exiled, pushed away from God, moved from our country to begin with. We're nothing like those. Those guys were disobedient. Man, we're going to be so obedient. We're going to follow God. We're going to obey all the rules. And Jesus looks at them. He says, you guys look at those people and you think we're nothing like them. You think you're like Isaiah. And he's like, you're not. You're just like those people. You see, those people worship me. But the worship wasn't really about me. It was about themselves. They completely missed the point of my heart. You see, what was happening is the people of Israel completely cut God out of the worship experience. They said, this is how we want to worship God. This is what we want to do for him. This is really what we think is right. God was not factored into it all. I want to give you a little bit of an analogy to help us understand the dynamic a little bit better. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the term love languages, uh, but it's this idea that we express and receive love in particular ways. And so someone might express love by giving gifts, but they might receive love by, you know, getting lots of hugs. You know, they're touchy-feely types. Unfortunately for my wife, I'm not always that person. But this, this, this is what is essentially going on. God comes to the people of Israel and he says, you know, this is how you can show me that you love me. I really love it when you say these types of things to me. They build me up. They make me feel affirm. They love me. This is not good God saying. This is like a, a love language talk. Your spouse comes to you and she says, hey, hun, you know, this is how you really show me that you love me. I just, I crave those words of affirmation. And you go and you think to yourself, well, that's all right, I guess, but that's not really how I want to show love. I want to show love by buying a bunch of gifts. Now, you can go to your spouse and say, hey, I'm showing you that I love you, but are you really? Are you really loving your spouse when you've completely ignored the way that she or he has communicated to you the way that they feel love? God's saying, you know, you can say you're worshiping me, but you've actually completely ignored my heart. You completely ignored who I am. You're going around saying, I love you, God, I love you. But you don't. You don't even listen to what I actually want, what I actually desire. And Jesus looks at them and he says, this is what you've done. You've essentially cut God out of the process completely. And we can look at that and we can think, oh man, those people totally missed, missed the point. And yet, I think if we're really taking a hard look at ourselves, this is often our tendency. This is often the way that we function. We want to look good. We want to look holy. And we don't always want to do what God's called us to do. And you don't even need to be someone who's particularly religious to live like this. There's a pastor, and uh, he's kind of a bit of a cultural guru. His name's Mark Sayers. He's a pastor in Melbourne, Australia. He's written this book on renewal. 
And, you know, when I was thinking through this sermon, uh, the idea of contagion or of defilement, being contaminated, how do we deal with it? Well, we look around for things that can renew us, things that can free us from that, things that can separate us from that. And so I think this idea of renewal is really a quest to, to bring us back to a point of non-defilement. We look back and we see that the world's good in a certain way, and so we want to renew it to get to that point. And so in his book, it's called Reappearing Church, he actually looks at how people respond to God's heart for renewal, and he says that they fall into two different errors. Let me read this for you. He, he's quoting from the book of Galatians. Uh, so he says, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul exposes two errors that the church was falling into. Number one, it's a fall back into religiosity. Now, as I read this, I want you to think of those Pharisees. The temptation to return to the fleshly pursuit of making ourselves right. When you think of making ourselves right, ridding us of defilement, keeping us from being contaminated with God by our strength. Grace replaced with judgmentalism. Freedom by fear, mission with suspicion, and holiness with a holier-than-thou facade. See, the Pharisees, they knew that God wanted to do a work in the world, but they didn't really want to do it in his way. So they cut him out of the process. But they still wanted to look holy. They still wanted to look good and so they made up all these rules that would be able to lift them up. And we do this. We do this all the time. I know that God's called me to be a missionary in the city of Victoria. That he's placed me in a neighborhood so that he can be proclaimed, made known to our neighbors. But sometimes I don't really want to do that. And I have all these really good on paper, they look really religious excuses for it. Man, Bible calls us a Sabbath rest. I got to have that Saturday where I can relax and rest. And, and so, Jesus, I know you've called me to find my rest in you, but I don't really want to do that. And so, I'm just going to ignore my neighbors. I'm not going to talk to them. And when people say, hey, how's things going? Well, I, I'm doing really good. I'm having great Sabbath times. And it sounds really good on paper, but what's going on in my heart is I've actually completely ignored God's call in my life. Or financially. You know, we know that the Bible's called us to be good stewards of what God's given us. And you see a need, but you don't really want to sacrifice to give to that need. So you do a little, it's Corbin, it's dedicated to God. I'm being a good financial steward. Instead of thinking about the sacrificial, willing generosity of Jesus poured out for us, that he wants to pour out through us, and I can look around and people can say, oh man, you know, you're being a great steward of your finances, but really I'm just being a stingy person. But I make myself sound holy. I was talking to my wife, Shannon, and just said, hey, hon, this is what I'm preaching on. You know, do you see any of these areas in your life? And she said, yeah, actually I do. She said, I often elevate being a mom to this point where yeah, on paper it looks really good, but I'm actually using it as an excuse to not pursue the heart of God. You know, on paper, yeah, pouring out to my daughter, caring for her, laying my life down for her, all those things are really important. They're not bad. 
They're not bad. But at times they become the excuse. She said, for me, actually pursuing a relationship with God, which is what his heart is for me, to know him, to be with him. And I use my daughter as an excuse to ignore him. A question I'd have for you is, what are those things in your life that you look at and say, on paper, this looks really, really good. I feel like I look really righteous, really religious, and yet I'm actually missing the heart of God. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your commitment to Christian things. You're so piled up with Bible studies and Christian prayer groups that you don't have any time for the mission that God has. And on paper, you look really, really righteous and really, really good, and yet God's saying, you've missed my heart. The worship that you're giving me, that's worship made by men. Sayers contends, though, that this isn't just a problem for religious people. He says, secondly, Paul also warns about an opposite error in which the freedom of the gospel leads to excess pushing beyond the bounds of what God is advancing into irreligiosity, is an attempt to achieve the mission of the Spirit and step into the freedom that is beyond the guardrails that God has erected. Ironically, this flight from limits ends up leading to the very same place that a fallback into religiosity does, an imprisoning of the flesh as humans instead of, the agenda, instead of a God-set agenda. What Mark Sayers is contending for us is that this isn't just a religious person problem. We all can see that the world is contaminated, that there is something wrong with it, and we're dealing with it in different ways. And sometimes we deal with it in the flesh of saying, hey, I'm going to try and be as religious as possible. And sometimes we do it in the complete opposite way. We say the problem isn't that we need to follow more rules. The problem is that the rules themselves are the things that's contaminating us. And so this leads to this desire for personal autonomy. We think, I'm just going to eradicate anything around me because those are the contagions. Those are the things that are contaminating me that would have any pull on my life. And when I get to this point of personal freedom, then I will be pure. And from there, it leads to this desire and this quest for personal happiness as the ultimate form of being undefiled. And what happens when people in our life get in the way of our personal happiness? We've been married for 15 years, but my spouse isn't making me happy anymore. They're contaminating me. Like the Pharisees, I gotta wash my hands of that relationship. And we elevate this. These are the saints in our society, people who say, I have cleansed myself of any kind of calling on my life. Anything that gets in the way of my happiness, my desires. At the very heart of it comes this push for personal fulfillment, and we look inward to try and discover the real me, and it doesn't matter what tradition says, what morality says, what people around me say, those things are actually contaminants that are going to get in the way of me being a renewed person, of me being a pure person. And so I'm going to wash my hands clean of those things. 
And Jesus looks at the Pharisees. He looks at both those of us who are Pharisaical religious people and who are people who are trying to do it by irreligious means. And he says, you guys have completely missed the point. The heart of God is for freedom, but what you're describing isn't freedom, it's enslavement to yourself. The heart of God is for people to love him, not just follow these sets of rules. And he confronts our hearts and says, hey, you've completely missed the point. So the Pharisees, they finish their time with Jesus. They head off and, and Jesus calls the crowds to him. And he says in verse 10, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth is not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. When Jesus made this switch to talking about what's going on in, in people's like bodies, what's going into their mouth, you may be like wondering, what does that have to do with hand washing? But as I said, there's this idea that you need to wash your hands because there were things that would contaminate you, things that would defile you. And so what Jesus is saying is, these guys, they're missing the point. I mean, it doesn't matter what touches your hands. That's not the thing that truly contaminates you. And he's going to fill this out for us in a second. But listen to what happens. The disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Now, I don't know about you, but, I mean, Jesus has just laid like a verbal smackdown on the Pharisees. I think if, if they come to him like, Jesus, did you know you offended them? He'd be like, uh, yeah, that was the point. Like, super brilliant uh, observation skills there, Peter. You, you really noticed what I was doing there. I thought I was being so subtle. But there's something more that's going on here. You see, the, the disciples grew up in this Jewish culture. And again, these were the people, the elite religious figures. And they were worried. They were worried. Here's Jesus. And they're like, oh, man. Jesus, like, these are really important people. And you just offended them. What had they done? They had elevated the opinions of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law above the opinion of Jesus himself. They had God in human flesh standing right before them, telling them, this is how I want you to live. This is what it means to follow me. And they're worried about what the Pharisees think. And here's the reality. We look around and there are so many people that we are concerned about offending when we have God right in front of us saying, hey, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is my heart. This is how I want you to live. And we're worried. And, and, and sometimes we're worried on a, a really big scale. You know, we think about what celebrities will think, what political figures think, what self-help gurus think. But some of the times, it's much more deeply personal. We know that God's called us to him, but, man, my, my parents don't really get this. I don't know if my spouse is is on board yet. And we have God himself coming before us and saying, hey, this is who I am and this is what I've called you to live like. And we're saying, but Jesus, like it might offend my wife. It might offend my mom and dad. And Jesus has some food for thought for us here. He says, every plant 
that was that my heavenly Father has planted will be pulled up. Uh, that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Now, if you you were here a few months ago, you may remember that Jesus told this parable, parable kind of a an analogy or a story to illustrate a deeper spiritual meaning. And he tells a story about a, a rich landowner, and he goes and sows uh, a bunch of wheat seeds in his field. And overnight, an enemy comes, and that enemy has, I don't know how he got them, but he's got the seeds of a bunch of weeds. So he spreads these weed seeds in the field, and as the shoots pop up, the, uh, the people who are helping the landowner with the harvest or with the tending of the field, his servants, they say, hey, there's all these weeds that are growing up. Should we pull them out? And he says, no, don't, don't pull them out yet, because they, you might damage the, the wheat at the same time as you're pulling up the weeds. Wait until everything is grown. And just referring back to this parable, he's reminding his disciples that there are weeds out there. He's saying, the Pharisees that you care so much about, that you're worried about their opinion, they're weeds. They're weeds. And listen to what happens to weeds. He says, leave them. Leave them. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Friends, I'm not trying to say, you know, have license to ignore people or be a super big jerk. But evaluate in your heart, who are the people in my life that I actually elevate above Jesus? And they might be blind guides. And here's the problem. If you're blind and I'm blind and I'm leading you, I'm going to trip up at some point. I'm going to fall into a pit. And this idea of the pit, this idea is what Jesus says in the parable of the, the weeds, that there's a time when God will give people to what they really desire, eternity separated from him. And so these words are heavy. Jesus says, don't elevate the opinions of other people. Don't look at celebrities or politicians or even your own parents above me. Because if they're blind, they're going to lead you to a place that there's no coming back from. Well, his disciples probably felt a little awkward at this point. And so they decided, I'm going to change the subject. So Peter comes to Jesus and he says, okay, well, let's forget about that. This is got a little heavy for me. So uh, Jesus explained this parable to us. <laughs> Jesus is not letting Peter off the, uh, the hook. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile them. It's so funny. Our, uh, our English translations are, are very polite. And, uh, and they kind of sanitize what Jesus is saying here. Uh, when he says... Don't you see that whatever enters someone's mouth goes into their stomach and then comes out of their body? That's, that's really not what he's saying in the Greek. He's saying, don't you know that people have things and they eat them and then they poop them out into a toilet? That's literally what he's saying. Uh, he's saying, here's the natural process. 
this is what takes place. And he says, that's not the problem. Like, it doesn't matter what you eat. That's not the thing that's going to defile you. That's not the thing that's going to contaminate you. That's not the problem at all. You see, the real problem is your heart. And when we hear that word heart, we often associate it with, you know, Valentine's Day and love and emotion. But in the Greek conception, the heart was the center of the will and the mind. It was the place that your decisions flowed out of. It was the true you being expressed or the center of where what was inside of you actually got expressed outwardly. And so what's Jesus' point? His point is that this is not an external problem. It is an internal problem. You want to know what the real issue is? The real issue is you. The thing that is irreconcilably contaminated, the thing that is completely defiled, it's your heart. It's who you are. This is what theologians call the doctrine of total depravity. R.C. Sproul, who's a a theologian, author, a pastor, he says this about the, the idea of total depravity. He says, the idea of total depravity doesn't mean that all human beings are as wicked as they can possibly be. It means that the fall was so serious that it affects the whole person. What Jesus is saying is, you and I, we're contaminated. And the things that come out of us, those are things that actually prove it. Now, this isn't really a popular idea. In fact, if you ask most people, are humans basically good? They would say, yeah, absolutely. I believe that. And maybe even most of us in this room would say, yeah, I actually think that most people are basically good. And Jesus actually says, no, you're wrong. They're not. It doesn't mean they can't do good, but they're not good. And you'd look at me and say, hey, but Andrew, I mean, look at all the good that happens in the world. Look at all the incredible things that humans do. I mean, my wife's a nurse. I know. She works with families that have cancer. She does some of the most incredible work that I've seen or heard about. I know that humans are capable of deep and great good. But here's what I would want to challenge you with and ask you. How then do you take account of the vast amount of evil that humans are capable of? If we're basically good, why is there so much bad? In fact, take a look at your own heart. If we're basically good, why is there so much bad in you? You may say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Okay. Let's think about this for a second. Jesus lists a, a long list. It's not meant to be exhaustive, but you can see three categories of ways that he says the heart manifests its defilement or its contamination in its expression. He says evil thoughts. And so there's a sense that our thoughts are corrupted, our thoughts are defiled. And then he talks about some actions, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, and then our words, false testimony and slander. Do your words reflect the heart of God? Do your actions reflect the heart of God? And do your heart, does your do your thoughts reflect the heart of God? How is it that 
man can be so capable of pouring out love to his kids and go and cheat on his wife? How is it that in one breath you can tell your spouse how much you love them and then a few minutes later tear them down because you know them so intimately you know exactly what's going to destroy them? How is it that you can lovingly tuck your kids in, support them, and when you're tired, you can say some of the harshest things that will stick with them for the rest of their life? How is it that you can go and have a great conversation with a friend, and a few days later, go and talk about that friend and bash them behind their back? You ever get into a a fight with someone, and you just blow up, and you say a bunch of things that you know or over the line and you come back to them later and you just say hey I'm really sorry I don't know what happened that that isn't my heart and Jesus says actually it is there's nothing that you or I can do external to ourselves there's nothing that we can wash our hands clean of that is going to change our hearts and this is the very point that Jesus is making And it's there to force us, as it did, to force his earliest followers to ask, then what is the solution? How do we come to a point where we are no longer contaminated, where we can be cleansed? And the Bible tells us there's only one solution. There's only one thing that can wash us clean, and that's the blood of Jesus You see, Jesus is the only one who had a heart that was completely pure, that was completely uncontaminated. Our hearts, the Bible says, are like stones, and his is a heart of flesh. The Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus took upon himself all the contamination of the world. And through him, we receive his pure heart. I just want to read for us how the Bible celebrates this and talks about Jesus' death and what it does for us. First Peter, Peter reflecting later on his experience with Jesus, he says in, in chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed, that you were cleansed, that you were un, uh, made not contaminated from the empty way of life that was handed down to you from your ancestors. No rules made by men that can do this. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. John, another one of Jesus' earliest followers, in his letter in 1 John writes, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. Hebrews 13, 12, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. to make the people holy through his own blood. Ancient Israelite practice, the things that would contaminate you were to be done outside the city gate. Jesus says that Jesus went outside the city gate to make us holy through his blood. And finally, Ephesians 2.13, the Apostle Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Friends, there is nothing you or I can do. There's no amount of diligence or pursuit. There's no amount of rules that we can follow to change our hearts. This is why we tell gospel stories, because we recognize that even now, the thing that changes our hearts is the blood of Jesus. It's recognizing what he has done for us. For those of you who, like me, know that your tendency is to fall back into religiosity, to try and do it, make yourself look good, compare yourself to others, lift yourself up by the good works that you do, Jesus' invitation is an invitation to freedom. He says, this isn't the things that save you. In fact, I've actually done all the work, and all you need to do is rest in that. Rest in that. For those of us who are on the opposite way, where we've been seeking out a life by irreligiosity, Jesus' invitation for us is to come and rest in the bounds of his heart. To stop trying to pursue ourselves and fulfill ourselves and actually let him be the one who fulfills us, who defines us who shows us that he has actually already done the work to make us pure. If you keep chasing after yourself, you're going to keep coming up with the same problems because, again, your heart is defiled. You need a new heart. So we're going to get to to respond to this reality. I'm going to invite you in a moment to come to the table. There you're going to get a cracker, non-gluten, It represents the broken body of Jesus. It represents that he poured himself out for you. That he gave you his heart and took yours into himself. You're going to get to dip that cracker in either wine or grape juice representing Jesus' shed blood. Doing what no amount of washing your hands could do. To cleanse you from the contamination of sin. We're going to get to respond through song. We're going to sing a song called Nothing But the Blood, and we're just going to acknowledge to each other that this is true. This is the reality that nothing but Jesus can change us. We're going to get to respond through giving. As Peter said, it's not by silver or gold that we've been redeemed, but by Jesus. And every week we get to acknowledge that this is not the thing that makes me pure, that makes me happy, that fulfills me. It is Jesus, and I'm going to submit that to him. And we're going to get to respond through prayer. You know, this, the, the, the totally ironic thing about the people of Israel, about the Pharisees, is that God's intent for the people of Israel was that they would be a, a people that would demonstrate what he was like so that the world could come and know him. The rules weren't just there for arbitrary holiness. They were there to be a light post to say, this is what God is like. He's holy and he wants you and he's pursuing you. And today, the invitation, if you haven't yet come to a point where you're ready to accept that, is to come to the God who's pursuing you. He's not calling you to follow a bunch of rules. He's calling you to follow him. He's calling you to know him, to be loved by him. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for this day. 
I want to thank you that you did the work that we could not. Because, Father, as I look at my life, as I look at the way I treat the people that I say I love the most, I know that my heart has been contaminated and I need a new heart. I thank you that you have given it to me by your blood, that you have washed me clean. And I pray that you continue to be at work in our church family. When we are tempted to settle for religious rules instead of a relationship with you, that you would call us back and remind us that it is finished, that you have done what needs to be done. When we're tempted to push ahead and try and create purity through our own means and our own wisdom, that you would remind us that we can't do anything with you, that we are hopelessly contaminated without you. Call us back into a trusting relationship, allowing you to lead us. Amen.